In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the 8th edition of the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast. Amid a long slump that just may be a new normal, the Grizzlies' playoff hopes are slipping away and the February trade deadline looms. I'm Chris Harrington, and I'm joined this week by my favorite part-time writer on the Grizzlies and various other subjects, Matt Herdlicka, whose work you can find on his own Patreon page and on Twitter via The Real Herdlicka. What's up, Matt? Chris, do you think I should change my Twitter handle? I've been thinking about this for a while. It just it it was an old joke like a long time ago, and I've really I, I think it's time to move on. What do you think? Um, I I think that's fine. I'm someone who who has done a Twitter handle change Twitter handle change in the past. I used to be Flyer Grizz Blog, and while I was even mm-hmm. still at the Flyer, I just finally changed that. But I changed it because I want, I needed my name in it. It, finally, it was finally was impressed upon me actually by Gary Parrish that you you should have your own name in your Twitter handle, and you do have your own name in your Twitter handle. It's a name that people don't really know how to spell unless they see it, right? Um, yeah, right. But I think you'd just be at Matt Hurlick. There's probably not any, any other Matt Hurlickers out there on Twitter, I'm guessing. Actually, if you can believe this, there is another Matt Hurlicka somewhere in Tampa that does – They have he, he sells trade show exhibits just like I do. <laughs> he tried to friend me on LinkedIn, and I was just like, no, block. <laughs> Immediate block of another Matt Hurlicka that sells trade show exhibits. I'm sorry. The, the, this, we're, this is way off topic of the Grizzlies, but you brought this up. This is an aside. I've been meaning to write about this in some format, non-basketball. I discovered recently the Twitter handle at Beale Street belongs to the current movie of Bill Street Could Talk. I don't know how that happened. Huh. If you just go at Bill Street on Twitter, it is it is the, the, the official account for that movie, not for the actual street in Memphis. I'm going to follow that on principle. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I now, I now follow at Bill Street. Um, okay. So for regular listeners to my to the previous podcast I did, the, the old Pick and Popcast, they are very familiar with you because you are a multiple-time guest. This is your first time here on the Daily Miffian Podcast. For people who are not familiar with you and what you do relative to writing about the Grizzlies, do, do a quick little explainer for people. Yeah, so I used to write for uh, the SB Nation site, Grizzly Bear Blues. Um, I was uh, – brought on by uh, Kevin, our mutual friend, Kevin Leip, your co-worker. Who is now with um, the Daily Memphian, right? Yep. And uh, by the way, the air smells fresher here on this pod at the Daily Memphian. I don't know. It's just something, we, we, I don't know, just something. We, we, nice we, we, we have the, the, the new car smell over here at the Daily Memphian offices. Yeah, yeah. right. That's what it is. So uh, I moved on to, uh, I wanted to write about different things and um, also just time constraints and, and wanting to kind of write at my own pace. I decided to do a Patreon account, which Patreon is a website that allows people to subscribe for $2 a month. And basically, I give at least half of the money to charity. We've been giving frequently to um, this uh, this um, charity called Team Rubicon, which helps support. They employ um, uh, Army veterans or veterans of the armed forces to help out with um, with like disaster relief. So all the disasters in California and Puerto Rico and stuff, these, these people go in and kind of help on the ground. So... Um, and I've done other, you know, Memphis related. Um, I live in Atlanta, so Atlanta based uh, charities as well. But um, it yeah. kind of helped me bring everything under one place. So Patreon.com. It's the uh, Mark was chiding me. He said, "Is it in your profile, your Twitter profile?" And I was like, "Oh God, I'm such a 
I'm the worst self promoter in the right. world. It's it is my pin tweet though. There's a link there that's on my pin tweet. You you are for people to you are a Rhodes College grad. You're not just some random guy in Atlanta who took an interest in the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> I I, uh, I I was I was at Rhodes. Um, I graduated in 2004, and uh, actually the Grizzlies practiced there. I told you the story, but the Grizzlies practiced there uh, at Rhodes um, before while the FedEx Forum was being built, and they were playing in the pyramid. Um, so that actually was the start of my Grizzlies fa- fandom. And then I lived in Memphis for a decade or so, uh, maybe 11 years, um, and just recently, relatively recently, moved to Atlanta. So. Um, for, as someone who is a believer that people that good content is worth paying for, that's certainly that's the principle we live on at the Daily Memphian. I will tell people I am a subscriber to Matt's Patreon page. I, it's two dollars a month. I I take to be very well spent, and so I, I recommend it to anyone who's listening to this podcast. And speaking of speaking of which, you have we both did long pieces on Marcus All this week, which is why I finally brought you on. Um, we took a little bit of different tack. Um, my piece was sort of. I mean, there's some there's some personal opinions sort of weaved in it, but it mostly was an analysis of the t- kinds of decisions Gasol and the Grizzlies have to make about the future of their relationship and when they have to make them and what may influence those mm-hmm. decisions. I sort of just worked through that. You did a piece that's a little bit more targeted on what kind of player is Mark Gasol now and you know how should we, and to some degree, how should the Grizzlies be thinking about that? Um, I, I think I think the two pieces sort of complement each other very well, which was unintentional. Um, I think you read them together. I mean, you get a real strong sense of of the Gasol question. I think. Um, but let's start with with sort of what you wrote about. What's your sense of what you know? The, we've seen such different Gasols, at least on the surface this mm-hmm. season. What is your opinion about who who Marcus All is now, and and more pressingly, who he's going to be as he goes forward in his career? So I'm going to preface everything I'm about to say, which will sound like criticism, by saying that Gasol is is, pro- is definitely my favorite Grizzlies player of all time, and probably uh, my favorite NBA player of all time. If I if I had you know ten years from now, I'll probably move on to the next hot thing. But Gasol, like, it seriously is uh, my favorite Grizzly. Um, I think every every star level NBA player, you get the production that you get, but then you also get some of the externalities, some of the, some of the stuff that comes with just this being a human being, you know, even like LeBron James, you get LeBron James in your team and that is fantastic. And you're going to be competing for the title, but you also get, you know, the media circus you get, okay, well you have to deal with clutch sports. You've got, um, I mean, in Cleveland, he came back, but he signed one plus ones, and that had serious ramifications for, you know, their long-term building. They were essentially in win-now mode every single year, which is what you're doing with LeBron. But my point is, outside of Tim Duncan, you're always going to have other stuff floating around that you just have to deal with. And I'm starting to get to the point where the other stuff with Gasol and and I. Being in Atlanta and not really playing the source game, like I don't know exactly what is going on, but he's now cycled through three coaches, and I think my argument would be um, that we've had a downgrade in coach every time from Jaeger to Fizz to JBB. Right. Um, some of that is directed by Mark Gasol, either either intentionally or not. I mean, people. It, I, I have a sense that like the, the franchise just tries to handle him and, and you sort of have to deal with the surliness 
and you you, um, you use a phrase in your, in your piece that you, you say you say you talk about his tortured artist routine on defense. I think you can take that meta- <laughs> take that I don't know if metaphor is the right word, but take that description and apply it broadly on and off the floor. Yeah, he just to me he just doesn't seem interested in offense. You know, there are times there are possessions where you know the the, the Grizzlies have a hard time creating a, a seam creating warping the defense to to make them recover um and it's for a lot of reasons but gasol will get the ball at the top and have a wide open three-point shot and and pass it and he doesn't seem to have any interest in just he he needs to understand that's like the best shot the grizzlies will get in that possession right and he's passing this is this is not even a comment on who he's passing to it's that he is he should. The, the whole team is built around him being an offensive engine. You know, you bring in Kyle Anderson not to be, you know, the the second banana on offense. You bring him in to be a third banana or a fourth banana, like because then his strength becomes, you know, an actual strength. You know, he can't be the the primary guy. Um, and then you you know you overload Conley. And and my sense is that outside of just the role players sort of tanking, which some of it was expected, some of it maybe not, the the whole the main flaw of the team is that the whole team built around Mark being an offensive engine, and you just can't do it anymore. I I agree with this. I think to me the question is 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 he being is he is it simply him being thrust into a role greater than he should, which I think is is the case based on the makeup of the roster, but how much of it is also him him is he do, you, do we think he would be willing to accept what his proper role should be um and mm-hmm. i th- i think we can generally agree offensively that you know i, I used to joke and i i, I wrote this in a mailbag that hasn't gone up yet today but four years ago before he started shooting threes i used to joke and only half joke like i was serious about it that the the, the late game in the career marcus all is 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 the sabonis the, the late sabonis it's going to be mm-hmm. standing out sitting on the perimeter setting picks shooting threes and passing the ball right um right and i think that's where we are and where we need to be going forward and that makes him more of a role player more of us you know secondary tertiary player offensively um, mm-hmm. I would assume you would generally agree that that's his future offensively. And my question is, A, is he willing to accept that? And B, is he more willing to accept that like with the Grizzlies or would he be more willing to accept that in some other situation? Yeah, I just, I, I agree with kind of where, you, where you're leading the discussion, which is, um, you know, I get the sense that he's just frustrated that this isn't working and that it it almost is like when a, when a company isn't working and you fire the CEO and you bring in a new CEO who has none of the like emotional attachments to any of the problems, you know, you know, you have to fire some people, but you can't fire them because, you know, they helped you out at this other point and all this stuff. And I just feel like if he were in a new context, he may be more willing to, especially with like other players or maybe a coach he trusted more or something you know, the grass is always greener. So I, I, I do think, I mean, I did a little bit of like what will end up to be pointless psychoanalysis, but I just, there are many reasons one could imagine as to why he plays the way he plays. Um, and I do also think you're right to point out that I don't think he is accepting of, he likes to be one of the guys that 
passes and makes plays, but he can't make plays anymore. He talk, The word he uses uh, all the time, he, well, the word he uses all the time this season, ahead. and it's got to be a J.B. Bickerstaff sort of terminology because it's sort of a new word, and, and Gasol's not the only one who repeats it, but the word he uses all the time is Mike and I are the triggers. We're the triggers. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're the triggers of the offense. And that doesn't mean you're scoring, but that means you are you are determining the outcome of possessions, right? And so right. He, he, yeah. he clearly feels the responsibility that I am the trigger. Like, I am the one making the determination. I, I think that given the makeup of the team, like, there's not that much more of a choice. There's some more of a choice, but not a lot more of a choice. But he can't be that going forward, and I just don't know. And I've talked to him, but I, I, but it's hard to get a read on how much you internally accept that you you have to be something different, and the, the, which is separate to the question of do the even if he came back next season, are the Grizzlies able to put him in, in the right position, right? Given the makeup of talent on their team, but but the other factor, I mean, in terms of you know whether he's more willing to do that, you know, here or elsewhere, is that he is much more likely to find himself in a position of being on a playoff team next season outside of Memphis than in Memphis. And maybe that A makes it more likely that he that he would be able to shift into that role and maybe it makes it more likely he would accept it. Yeah, I think I mean that that's kind of part and parcel. It's like, you know, you sort of you sort of recognize your basketball mortality, but you also recognize that like you just sort of are you you, you identify that it makes it easier to move on. If you actually move on, you know, to a different uh, environment, you can kind of redefine yourself and sort of be more willing. I mean, there's tons of reasons why, why things could work or not work in, in any given situation. I just, I did a little bit of psychoanalysis just because I feel like it's instructive to think of all the possible reasons why somebody acts the way they do. Because if you can't think of a, of a reasonable reason why they're acting that way, then you know you've arrived at an impasse and it's like, okay, now it's time to move on. And I think there are some things that you could talk yourself into that, you know, like a little tweak here or whatever, um, you know, things might be different. But the rule of thumb is that 34-year-olds don't change the way they play basketball. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it could it could not work if, if he moved on to another place for him. But we're, we're sort of in a period of big men, and we've seen, obviously, obviously him adding the three-point shot was a change, but I the the most recent home game here was Milwaukee, and before the game, I watched Brooke Lopez go through his pre pregame shooting routine, and it was sort of instructive because he did nothing but take threes in his pregame shooting routine, and it wasn't just going around the circle taking threes. I mean, they were doing threes off of bad passes, threes off the dribble. They were doing threes with a another assistant coach bumping him and putting a, a, a hand in his face. It was all it was like total dedication to making him a three point shooter, and and Brooke Lopez at peak was not the offensive fulcrum that Marcus all, I guess was at peak, but he was a 20 point scorer. He was a primary scorer on a team. And he made that transition to like, I'm a three point shooter. And to me, Marcus all in theory sh- should be like the better version of that because he adds more defensive and rebounding value. I think even going forward, if he would just be willing to be that embrace the three point shot more than he has. Right. Yeah, I agree. I just, I I think I, I I think I think it's it's a matter of he does is not willing to give up the other stuff and just be a I mean maybe part of him just thinks of of a spot up shooter as a lesser right offensive player you know it's he's it's beneath him um I don't I don't know it's 
he's a tough guy to read, like from afar. I mean, you, you read him up close, and it's like you still don't really know right. where yeah. his head's at all the time. So, so, so I, mean, I mean, what's your sense of you got into this in a piece? But like, what's your sense of like where what his decision's going to come down to? I think people underrate the personal because people always underrate the personal. Yeah. Um, he, kids. He, he he's got he's got a young family as I mentioned, wife. I think two kids in school. He's been in he he's been in Memphis for most of his adult life at this point. I think he is a creature of comfort, and I think he is comfortable in his personal life in Memphis. I think he has, and maybe this is changing, maybe the lack of success, but he has a degree of sort of um, stature within the organization, right? I mean, and you and mm-hmm. that can go both ways, good or bad. You mentioned that in reference to the coaching changes, but th- there is a sense of like, you know, he. I think he values what he means to the franchise. And I think he probably values like his degree of sway within the franchise and maybe within the, with the owner of the team. Mm-hmm. It's something maybe you give up elsewhere. Um, the sense I, I get is that he is a little bit more of a creature of comfort and habit. And the idea of disruption may be mm-hmm. a little bit harder for him than other players. Um, but mm-hmm. I also think, and, I, and I'm, I'm not spitballing here, um, he, he, he remembers how it went, how it broke up with Powell. And he knows in retrospect that that ended up being good for both his brother and for the franchise. And I think he can very easily see the same. It's not, I would call it a rationalization, but it may just be the truth, right? I think, I think if he ends up leaving, it, it will, he will see it in that context. This is, what, this is ultimately what is best for me and best for the Grizzlies. And me doing this is ultimately like good for this franchise I care about. I think he can easily see it that way this summer um i can i can see Mm -hmm. that very i can see that very clearly and and that is actually where i lean towards what will happen but i i'm not it's it's a slight lean of anything but but that sort of brings us to like what's what's going to happen or what should happen and i want to ask you about this people tend to see this in terms of a a mark casal decision because he has you know the opt-in or opt-out on his contract this summer but it's as much a grizzly decision in a lot of ways. A, they, it's their decision whether to trade him right now. And then even if they don't, this summer it's their decision whether – I don't think – I'm skeptical of him opting into one year. It's their decision whether to offer him some kind of an extension mm. at a lower salary, right, like they did Randolph late in his career. So w- mm. if you're the Grizzlies, w- w- where's your head at in terms of trading him so now? My, and, and if you don't, are you, yeah. willing, are you willing to offer him an, him an extension at a lower salary? Oh, I would 100% be willing to offer him an extension at a lower salary. I, I think there's some question as to whether that includes an opt-in. Like, I assume it would be an opt-in and then... Yeah, that, that's what I mean by extension. Extend I, I, extension would be opting in to the 25 point whatever million next season and extending right. off of that. The other would be opting right. out okay. and signing a new contract, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd be willing to, to extend him for sure. I mean, but they could offer him that right now um they can and, and they I think you said in your piece right you, you didn't your sense was that it, that had not happened yet I, I i've been told by a source close to the situation that has not happened yet yeah so i mean yeah i'd be willing i, I don't think but the way i framed it was i think the team should be preparing for life without him because of, of two reasons number one they could trade him right now or it's actually three reasons two things aren't working and three he can leave like you need you can't – it is a Grizzlies decision, but it's the first step is – I mean, he, Gasol has the white pieces. He, he acts first. So, you know – Well, unless I the Grizzlies trade him in the next three weeks. 
the if the Grizzlies trade him in the next three weeks, it would be the Grizzlies acting first, right? Like well, it, that's true. That's decision true. That's is true. first there. Yeah, I was just saying, if you get through, because your sense is there that you don't think that anything's going to happen this summer, and our uh, by the by the trade deadline, and and I even though I said I would look for offers right now, I don't think that anything's going to happen. I think it would take a something. Another team making a mistake offer, basically like kind of right. overrating like what what you should you get. Because here's the thing: if Gasol opts out this summer, and I think there's a good chance that he does. I don't know what a good chance means, but I think that it's a it's a it's a definite like you need to game plan. This is this could really strongly happen. Um, you got 21 million in cap space, roughly, especially assuming you keep your pick and it falls somewhere around five or six. You know, any contract you take back eats into that 21 million. But if you're a bad team who's picked in the top 10 twice, what are you going to do with that 21 million? And, and you know, it's either you're going to overpay a mediocre player or you're going to start doing the, the salary dump, right. that contract thing. So, you know, you kind of got to weigh, do I want to take a bad contract now? And what is the asset that's coming in now versus what asset could you get in the summer for a bad contract versus, you know, do you want to play the restricted free agent game with tenders and, you know, that can maybe bring in 21 million can maybe bring in two, you know, like a Tyus Jones and Bobby Portis type level, or maybe a one of like D'Angelo Russell or somebody like that. You know, you got to kind of weigh. I think you're going to be taking on bad money one way or another, you've been either creep- through overpaying free agents or you, by taking on salary. You've been creeping in my Google Docs, Matt. With, 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 with your little Bobby, with your little <laughs> Bobby Portis it's, it's restricted like free agent reference. Right. Um, I actually had a, I had a mailbag question along those lines and your answer is somewhat similar to, to what I gave, which is that, yeah, you could have cap space this summer if Gasol walks and, you know, you could use that poorly by, you know, overpaying for some veteran. But re- the reality is you're probably either going to try to use it like you did your mid-level last summer to, to try mm-hmm. to pry away a younger free agent, probably restricted, or use it to rent out cap space for, for assets, right? And so, mm-hmm. to to your point, if they're gonna if, if they entertain Gasol trades right now, there's a certain threshold you need to get. It's not this matter of you got to trade them now because otherwise you'll get nothing because nothing yeah. has value, right? And so it, it, you have yeah. to make sure that something is more valuable than the nothing, and and it, which is not a given. It, it sounds it sounds will sound weird to some people, but the nothing may be better than the something, and that's sort of what they ha- what they have to gauge. But I'm sort of interested in this idea of, you know, you see, you'd be willing to do an extension. And I think I would, too. To me, there needs to be a certain understanding all around about, A, he has to, you know, agree to a certain level of salary reduction and a role commensurate with that reduction. Like, are you willing to transition into this next phase on this team to, to be – to be the sidekick again, to be to be the the role player, the more complimentary player going forward. And I right. think if he were willing to accept that, like I would be willing willing to do it too, probably in the absence of some good deal. But does that is that does does that help you build a new team around or with a Jaron Jackson Jr. Foundation? And that's the question they really have to be asking themselves. Yeah, I would. I mean, just the way I'm thinking about it is by. By Jaron's third year, he should be the primary center, or be if he's not, it's because of like physical limitations. Like I think they need to know by his third year, like halfway through his his rookie contract, whether he can actually play center or whether this is like an Anthony Davis. Like I do not want to play center under any circumstances. 
you know, thing. Because that is really the whole future of the team is based around how do you build around Jaron? Is he the primary guy? Is he a, just a really great secondary guy? Or is he none of those things? Or and and where? Do, how do you fit guys in um, or, around that? You be, well t- dovetailing into that is this question. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, and so we'll wrap up here in a minute. But this question of sort of to tank or not to tank, or how to think about if you're gonna, if you're going to miss the playoffs, how do we think about the lottery, right? And mm-hmm. It was more than a year ago where I started whispering, like, they want to give up the pick to Boston, which no one was talking about. And now it's sort of become a truism, right? Well, they want to give up the pick to Boston. And it probably warrants a little more investigation than that because I don't think it's quite that simple. I think if they're not, I think they would prefer the first or second pick in the draft and they'll take the risk, right? It's just that you can't, there's very little control you have over that outcome. I think you have much more control, not total, but much more control over giving up the pick. Um, it seems clear to me they would prefer the first or second pick and, and still owe Boston. Um, they would prefer to give Boston the pick rather than have the seventh or eighth pick in this draft. I don't know where the breaking point is, like three through <laughs> six, right? I, I don't know right, at what point right. you, you know, if you play the Monty Hall, let's make a deal. At what point do you want the pick? At what point do you want what's behind the door? Um, you mentioned a minute ago, like, you know, having the fifth or sixth pick in this draft and then the cap space what's your thinking on what you think is the right way for the Grizzlies to be thinking about, you know, the, the draft this summer and the complication of, of, of the big Theo Boston. So I'm kind of in this weird space. I, I want to say this sort of explicitly, I'm kind of indifferent as to whether the Grizzlies trade Gasol or, or get, or let it go to, you know, let him walk in free agency, like assuming those two things, um, are sort of like two of the three possibilities. I'm sort of indifferent because I feel like either way you're going to be kind of playing a bad a bad contract game one way or another. I'm in the same boat for the pick. I think I am indifferent to whether they give the pick now or like I don't think they should tank. I don't think they should be trading Gasol as a means to get worse and keep this pick. That doesn't make sense. The the, the whole thing is if you get a deal that makes sense for the team building, you do it. Um, because there is value to giving away the ninth pick in the, in, in, in this draft. Um, but, you know, if you sink down to sixth, that's like a 9% chance at Zion Williamson. That's not nothing. That's what it's like. Right. If you told, if Zion turns out to be the next great player, I mean, like, would you like a 9% chance with Ben Simmons? Like, yeah, I would like that. That's not nothing. Um, and I sort of, I sort of push back on like, we, you know, if, if, it was kind of famous that Chris Wallace said, "This is, you know, we're happy with the fourth pick when they got that Jaron Jackson pick. And everybody was kind of like, you know, what, what, what do you mean you're happy? And they kind of like viewed it as a four-player draft. I think that's what, they what did. the kind, kind of consensus was. They did. Completely. Um, I, yeah. sort of, I sort of push back on that because I'm like, historically, top five picks are really valuable. And people are generally not great at, at valuing like that pick so far ahead of time. So if they end up with like the fourth pick, I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm just going to be like, you know what? We got to, we got to run it back and, you know, try to give away the seventh pick next year. It's like, you're just in the same place, you know? Right. Um, it's a complicated situation right now. I recommend everyone read uh, Matt's piece on Gasol, which is quite good. 
Um, we don't really do this. Is, this is also this is no longer the pick and pop cast. We don't typically do the pop, but I'm going to feel bad if I get out of here without letting you talk about something that's not basketball, because <laughs> I know you'll, you'll you'll complain about that. So so what what in the world do you recommend to people that's not not about basketball? Um, I have been listening to a podcast called The Knowledge Project. Uh, it's it's not I don't think widely known, but they they go into depth. The way I found it was there was um. There was one. Uh, they, he interviewed a like a former CIA or, or, or uh, FBI like uh, um, hostage negotiator, and um, related to this, we have a three-year-old who is holding us hostage. And so right. I was trying, I was trying out techniques on her, and like the first couple like actually worked. And I was like, oh my god, this is great. And then she like stopped listening to me after that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but. He does. He does really in-depth discussions with like people at the top of their field. Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but but the uh, he has a blog too. But um, but the uh, podcast is the Knowledge Project, and and it's it's a lot of different types of stuff. It's economists. It's it's random people like this this hostage negotiator, different stuff like that. Um, what uh. Before before I get off, what what movie do you recommend? I've got some long flights. What movie do you recommend that I download for my long flights? I don't, I don't know what. Oh, do you download? It's not necessarily something you have to watch on the plane. I don't know what's available. Yeah, yeah, my, my favorite movie of 2018 was Shoplifters, which is a Japanese movie. Won first prize at the Cannes Film Festival last year. I don't know if that's available for you to download. Um, Leave No Trace, I really love. That was my second favorite movie, and I'm sure that probably is available for you to download. That's um, okay. it's by Deborah Granick, the same filmmaker who made um, Winter's Bone, which is the movie that launched Jennifer, Ooh, I like that one. Launched Jennifer Lawrence's career, her first Oscar nomination. This is her first movie since Winter's Bone, which took like eight years for some reason. And it's about a father and his 13-year-old daughter who are living initially undetected in, in a state park in, in either Oregon or Washington State. He's, a, he's an Iraq War vet, and he and his daughter are trying to live off the grid away from society. And, and they sort of get discovered, and it's about what happens since then. But I, I, it's a movie that sort of went under the radar. It's not getting a lot of like award attention late in the year. But that was probably my favorite American film of last year, Leave No Trace. All right, automatic so, download. It's my recommendation to you and to the listeners. Matt, um, thanks for joining us, as always. For everyone else, I'm Chris Harrington, and this has been the Daily Mythian Grizzlies podcast. Thanks to the OAM Network and Gil Worth. Thanks to Natalie Chandler on the ones and twos. You can, you can subscribe to the site at dailymythian.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at, at dailymythian. Make sure to subscribe to our Grizzlies podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.